as we go through, are going to be all about what, what is church. This last section of Joshua is all about looking at what, what is church, and we're going to think about that today as we look at Joshua 22. Page 196, if you're using a church Bible. Let's read. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn... And go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave to you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. To love the Lord your God, and to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and to cling to him, and to serve him with all your heart, and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them, and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now, to one half half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan. But to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, Go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers." So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land of which they have possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. That's scene one, scene two. And when they came to the region of Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan. An altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it and said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan, in the region about the Jordan, on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, in the land of Gilead, and they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor, from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves, and from which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord, that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourself a possession among us. 
Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things and wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel and he did not perish alone for his iniquity? Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the head of the families of Israel, the mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, he knows. And let Israel itself know, if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord, so your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for you, no, sorry, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you, and between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence, with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings, so your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And we thought, if this should be said to us or our descendants in time to come, we should say, behold... The copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering or sacrifice, other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before the tabernacle. When Phinehas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke... It was good in their eyes. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst, because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the chiefs returned from the people of Reuben and the people of Gad in the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the people of Israel, and brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God, and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land. Where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness, for they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Keep that open in front of you, and let me pray for us. Before Rob comes up, comes up and speaks to us. Father, I thank you for your words and the truth that lies within it. And I pray today that you would help Rob to faithfully teach that truth with your help. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this is the time for the children to go out with Kenny. He's got sweets. And Rob's going to come and speak to us. Well, friends, it is wonderful uh, to be able to be together, and uh, we're going to be learning together from that passage, Um, and we are looking at that overall question, what is church? And uh, we've reached these last few chapters in Joshua, and the piece of paper I just handed to you is a speech 
or three speeches um, from, from these final three chapters. There's one speech in each of the chapters. So I thought it'd be helpful for you to have a copy of that. Um, you can look across the three speeches that Joshua gives. You'll notice that the first one on the first side is just to two and a half tribes, um, which uh, Sam just read at the start of chapter 22, and then the other two are for the whole of Israel. Um, but as they're three speeches that go, seem to be big um, structural markers in this book, I thought it'd be good for you to have all three on one sheet so you can have a look as we go through the next three weeks. What, what is church? It's quite an important question for, for anyone, isn't it? Um, but for, for us in church, uh, what, what, what is church? Um, we, we come here each week. What is it? Well, I guess if we've been around uh, Bible-believing churches, we know that church is not a venue. It's not the building we're in. It's the people. But, but what kind of relationship do the people have with one another, and how does that come about? It's quite an important question, isn't it? You know, does it come about by chance? Does it, you know, do we just end up in the same place at the same time? It just happens randomly. Uh, well, actually, the first answer to that question, who makes them God's people, is that God does. God makes them God's people. We've been seeing that, haven't we, in the book of Joshua. Beyond the shadow of doubt, um, this group of Israelites are just as warranted to face God's judgment as the people in the land. Their evil, their wickedness, their rebellion. And yet God, in his grace and mercy, initiates relationship with them. And he does that through the sacrifice that he gives. They can come near to him. Um, So we've been seeing that in the great story of the Bible um, and uh, in the story of Joshua to this point. And a good summary for this is the end of chapter 21. Uh, If you look in verse 43, it says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and they settled there. The Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give. So this is a gift. Everything up until this point is a gift. And everything going forward is going to be a gift as well. If God had not done this for them, then they would not be where they are. And that's the first and foremost, the the first thing about Christians, whether or not you're a Christian here today, that's the first thing to know is that God makes Christians. He makes followers, people who believe in him. But we're asking a slightly different question, uh, or the follow-on question, in these last chapters in Joshua. Now that he has made them his people, how are they to live? It's that question of what is the church? What are they to, what's the feature of God's people? What would you say in answer to that question? Is it that they don't have anything else to do on a Sunday? Or um, is it that they quite like hanging out with other people? Maybe like they like singing and dancing. That's the feature. You know, that's why they, they spend time together. What's the feature of God's people? Um, As I said, if you're not a Christian, this will give you a good idea in this passage of the changes it would bring to your life if you were to become a Christian, if you were to start following Jesus, answering this question. What is church? The big themes you've you've just heard in this chapter, I think can be summarised in two words, obedience and unity. You hear quite a lot of stuff about obedience, don't you? And you hear quite a lot of stuff about unity. And the, the, the question, the thing in question is unity, isn't it? You get the two and a half tribes. Are they united with their brothers? 
Can there be unity? So the big thing in jeopardy here is unity. But it's about obedience as well. And often, as I think, um, we tend to uh, draw a division between those two things. Where there is no division. Let me give you some examples. We say, okay, well, it's all about unity. And therefore, to, it's not about obedience to Jesus. So church becomes all about the unity of getting everyone together, keeping everyone together. And it never, ever is about the obedience to Jesus. That, that actually does um, say that some people are Christians and some people aren't. And the obedience to Jesus will have put some people off. So you get quite a lot of churches saying, we're just not going to teach what Jesus says about sex and relationships. We're just not going to teach what Jesus says about hell and judgment because we want to keep everyone together. You see? So sometimes we trump unity. We let unity trump obedience to Jesus. And sometimes we actually go the other way around as well. And we say, hey, it's all about obedience to Jesus. That means that I'm going to be suspicious of every other Christian and I'm never going to do anything with any other church. We're just going to keep ourselves to ourselves. Out of this supposed thing of we're obedient to Jesus and no one else can possibly be. So that's where it goes the other way around. But which is it then? Obedience or unity? If you had to choose one or the other, obedience to Jesus or unity amongst God's people, which one would you choose? Which one would you lean towards? I guess, probably because of our culture, we'd lean towards the unity thing, wouldn't we? Because culture is all about unity, or it says it is. You know, what will Barking and Dagenham Council do to keep everyone together? One borough. You know, it's all about unity. So all of the stuff we hear, one, one unity, united. United Nations. Um, United Kingdom. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's all about it, isn't it? And so I think we probably lean on the side of unity, don't we? We so say church is just about everyone keeping everyone together and it being about uniting people. And sometimes we need to see that actually that unity only comes through obedience to Jesus. They're actually linked. They're linked. Because the unity we see in this chapter between God's people is about Jesus being their Lord. It's about God being their Lord, Yahweh being Lord. And the point at which, we'll have a look, the point at which um, it looks like one side is saying Yahweh is not Lord, there can be no unity. Okay? So let's look at it together. And first of all, first point, there can be no unity with unrepentant sin. There can be no unity with unrepentant sin. You'll see, uh, thanks Sam for reading it so well. This is a quickly escalating situation between the two tribes, between the two and a half tribes that go back um, to the, their land, which is the other side of the Jordan. And the, the remaining tribes, I'm going to call them, who are the nine and a half who are in the, the other bit. It's a quickly escalating situation, isn't it? Um, you know, with both sides suspicious. Uh, this, the, the remaining tribes are saying, hear, report, and they respond, and they're, they're ready to respond. And they're rightly troubled, actually. We're not to see this as sort of some worked example of conflict management, or, you know, we're not meant to pick sides and say, oh, I'm with these guys, those guys are really badly in the wrong. 
No, no, they're both in the right. These guys are rightly troubled by a recent development. They've obviously learned from experience that there can be no unity if God is not obeyed. What are the kind of references they they say in their speech? There's two of them. What are the references? Can we pick them out? They refer to two different events that have happened. One of them slightly fresher in the history of their people. The other one's the previous generation in the wilderness. Have a look down. Okay, yep, so that comes right at the very end in verse 20. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things? What's the other one? Say that again. Cain. Plague. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So verse 17, have we not had enough of the sin at Peor, from which even yet we have not been cleansed ourselves, and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord? So we can see what, the, what they're fearing here, what kind of thing they're fearing, because the references they have are to two blatant and unrepentant sins going against what God has said and not, and not being repentant for it. And it brought disaster, didn't it? In, in the case of one, Achan, they, they went out to battle for a battle they should have won and tons of their guys got killed in battle. And it was only then that they realised that there was something that Achan had brought the devoted things back into the camp. You know, snatched some of the booty and kept it to himself when God told him not to. And the result was just disaster for the people of God, right? Because God was no longer with them in battle. And the other example is Peor. And look that up in Numbers 25, verses 1 to 9. It's um, pretty scary. God sent a plague amongst the people when 24,000 people died. Along with all the official, officials who undertook the idol worship, which involved probably involved sexual sin. So that's what's playing in their minds, right? That's the two references they give for why they're concerned, for why they've gone to all this trouble, by the way, of a, a, a snap kind of committee, um, get everyone together quickly in the land. That's, that's no small undertaking. Uh, 21 people, three from each of the nine tribes, or 27 people, I don't know. Um, we're going to send these guys. It's going to be a long journey. We're going to do, go to all that hassle immediately. And it's worth it, isn't it? Because if this is the case, if there has been a real breach of faith, if there has been disobedience, unrepentant sin, it cannot, cannot coexist with the people of God. There, there can be no peace and no presence of God abiding with his people if God's people are unrepentant in their sin. Yeah? So that's what they're thinking when they react. And we're seeing that there can be no unity with unrepentant sin. Um, There's nothing too inconvenient for them. You'll see uh, from one of those verses, uh, in verse 19, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. They are even willing to give off, to lose out themselves if somehow the land was a reason that the people had for their sin. If that was the driving factor, they're willing to disadvantage themselves and say, hey, look, guys, 
take a bit, take of our stuff, but don't, but don't do this. They're desperate. It's not, it's not something they're taking lightly. By the way, it's not something that they're saying, oh, you know, each to their own. You do your thing, I'll do mine. They're not, they're not even the kind of people who say, that it's none of my business, really. Yeah? I'm not going to stick my nose in. You know, it's their private, private matter, their private life. I'm not going to stick my nose in. <laughs> it's the complete opposite, isn't it? It's like, this is, a, this is a matter that's for us. It is important. I'm going to get involved. And that's what, how, they, how they deal with it. And they're not too hasty. They do ask. They do seek to find out. But they're not going to let it go. And that's because they realise that there can be no unity amongst God's people if God is disobeyed and it's unrepentant sin. Yeah? So that's where the obedience to Jesus comes in. The mark of God's people is going to be obedience to him. And unity depends on it. Uh, so it's quite challenging, isn't it, to hear of this? Um, you'll see, let me just prove it to you. Um, to prove to you that this is what they think is, is important about this um, is their response in verse 31. By the way, they, we find out, as the people reading this, at the same time as the, the tribes do, what the, what the real thing is, what the real motive is in building this altar. But we, we, we're left in suspense. At the same time that the tribes realise it, we realise it as well. We don't get told until halfway through. But when they do realise it, in verse uh, 31, what do they say? So they say, today we know that the Lord is in our midst. Because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. The Lord is in our midst. God is with us. And it's, it's not. Primarily because there's just unity for unity's sake. It's actually because they can see that there's obedience to, to the Lord. What they feared was the case. Apostasy, going against God, rejecting his ways, throwing off all of his commands, going their own way. What they feared is not true. And so they say, hey, that's proof that the Lord is with us. The big proof that God is with his people is actually obedience to him. Interestingly, not just unity. Yeah? Not any kind of unity, but this kind of unity. The God's people are being united in obedience to him. Actually, it's not, it's not an Old Testament thing. It's a New Testament thing. Because if you want to turn in um, Ephesians chapter 1... I won't read the whole of it like I did a few weeks ago. Ephesians 1. Can someone shout out the page number? Um, If you look just down at verse 10, at the end of that very long sentence, it says um, in verse 9, that God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth and uh, verse 22 and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him he fills all in all so what is the big project of God he is uniting a people yes 
But how is he uniting them? He's uniting them under Jesus, under his rule. As we sang, God's people in God's place, under his rule, they will know his blessing. So it's not just any old unity that you'll find in church. It's unity because people have come to realise, come to the knowledge that Jesus is Lord. And that that is a good thing. It's a good thing because he's the kind of Lord that would give of himself for his people. He's the kind of Lord that would uh, give his life and lay his life down for his people. And yet he is Lord because he has been raised to life and he is reigning and ruling in heaven. God God the Father has shown us that he is his appointed king, the one in charge. So the thing that unites God's people is not just saying Jesus is saviour. But saying Jesus is Lord. We get that in 1 Corinthians. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You will be saved. Jesus is Lord of all. And he is our Lord. And therefore there will be obedience to him. So that's the first thing we see right. We see obedience is what unity. Is is the thing that comes. uh, Produces the unity. And, and the people are saying there can be no unity here. By the way, we're going to make war. I, as as um, Sam read it, I realised, hey, it's brothers. Two people, two halves of the same tribe. Isn't it? Because one half of the tribe is in the, in the remaining tribes and one half is in the other ones. And they're saying we're going to make war on our brothers because we know that this unrepentant sin, this being against God, is not just a case of, hey, live and let live. It is serious. And so the unity only comes through obedience to Jesus. But, and this is what we need to see as well, unity grows where Jesus is obeyed. And that's how the, the chapter resolves, isn't it? Let's look at the two and a half tribes. Unity grows where Jesus is obeyed. And let's go back to Joshua. And we'll read from verse 25 to 27. This is where we find out what their motive is. It looked as if they were trying to offer their sacrifices in a place that God had not commanded and had actually commanded them not to do. But let's hear from them. Uh, Finally, in verses 25 to 27, let's read. For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and people of Gad. Oh, Let's read from a bit further back. Um, No, but we did it from verse 24. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you, and between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence, with our burnt offerings and sacrifice and peace offerings. Uh, So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. Perhaps on the journey home, these two and a half tribes, you know, they're walking back and they get to the point at which they're going to cross the Jordan Valley which by the way is huge because of its flooded banks as we heard at the start of whenever they went into the land but the valley of the Jordan is huge 
And perhaps they thought, as they looked out on that vast barrier, natural barrier, they began to consider how time can significantly change things. It can change a relationship, can't it? Time and distance can change relationships. They thought not of themselves, but of the next generations, their children, their offspring, and how continued worship actually depended on this relationship. Because if they couldn't, if they weren't allowed access, how could they go to Shiloh? How could they go to the place where God had given as a place for them making their offerings? And what mattered to them was the worship of Yahweh, the one true God. That's what's important here. So they are exactly the same as the tribes in the land. Praise the Lord. They, the tribes in the land were saying, it's important that we worship Yahweh alone, the one true God. And the people out, uh, the two and a half tribes are saying exactly the same thing. And so the unity comes about because they are together saying Yahweh is Lord. And that matters for how we live our lives, but also for how our children are going to live. And that's where the unity comes, comes in. This is a people who are concerned for the true worship of Yahweh, both for themselves and for their children. Their actions are heartfelt and pure, aren't they? They didn't just have concerns, but they actually acted on them. The altar they have built is on the side of the remaining tribes. So that if they're standing there trying to say, huh, no, you're, you're not part of the people of Israel, they'll just be like, huh? yeah, this big thing that we've been banging into all this time, yeah, that is the thing that was meant to remind us. That you always were part of the people in the land. They built it on the side of the remaining tribes. So that it was unmissable. It was a testimony. And what do they say in verse, um, at the end, verse 34? The, pe- the people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness. For they, for they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. This is to be a witness to us that the Lord is God. To us and to you, the Lord is God. Keep worshipping him. Don't serve other gods. Keep worshipping him. He is your God. And he is the God of our children as well. We want them to know it. What does this mean for us? Well, I think it is incredibly practical, isn't it, for us as a church. And for us individually as Christians. Because we are going to be tempted to do that divide. We're going to be tempted to say, hey, what matters is unity. Yes, that's right, but what matters is unity, which comes about through obedience to Jesus. And where we, as Christians, tempted to do that is, is all the time, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, obedience to Jesus in every area of our lives. So obedience to Jesus in who we um, sleep with. <laughs> obedience to Jesus in... Um, in how I uh, use my money and use my time in how honest I am and yet temptation would be to say hey look we just want to keep everyone together so we're never going to challenge sin in each other we're never going to um, take seriously the call to obedience of Jesus we're not even going to mention things that might be controversial because we just want people to stay in our church But to do that is to miss the point, isn't it? That unity comes through obedience to Jesus. We're only going to be united. Only true unity or unity that lasts will be when Jesus is Lord. In our hearts. 
in our marriages, in our families, in our homes, in our schools. When Jesus is Lord, then there will be a people who experience the presence of God. God is with them and he is the one who unites them together. So it is pretty important and it it has very practical outworkings, doesn't it? Because, um, as I said, there'll be tons of areas where people say, you just don't want to mention that particular topic. You just don't want to go there with that subject because you're going to, it's going to create disunity. And we have to say as a church, unity comes from obedience to Jesus. Unity comes when Jesus is Lord, not just of our Sundays, not just of our, um, you know, what we want people to know about us. Jesus needs to be Lord of every area of our lives. That is true worship, isn't it? Get that in the New Testament. True worship is offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not just singing on a Sunday, but our whole lives. Everything we are being about Jesus and being given over to him. He is Lord. He has authority, not me. And if you're not a Christian, well, this passage shows you that what it would involve to be a Christian is not you trying to be a Christian, but God saving you. From the judgment that we would otherwise face through Jesus. And yet to be saved would be nothing less than submitting all of your life to Jesus as your Lord. He's a good Lord. (laughs) He's a kind Lord. He's a loving Lord because he will do that for you. He He has given his life to save you. But he is Lord. And it would involve you saying, I want you, Jesus, to be Lord of my, every area of my life. And don't believe those who might say to you that you can have Jesus and ignore what he says in this particular area of your life. Don't believe them because that's not just patiently not true. Jesus is Lord and he is Saviour. One night pray. Let's pray. As I do that, I'm going to read a a little quote to you from this book. If the absence of apostasy is a cause to praise God for his presence with his people, then his presence ought to prompt believers to investigate possible causes of his disfavour. The presence of apostasy in so many forms within the visible church in the West must make an increasing absence of God's presence and power in its life and witness. When God is sidelined and his word disregarded, his spirit is grieved and may well withdraw until his people come to their senses in renewed repentance, loyalty, faith and obedience. The Israelites were deeply concerned to deal with the issue because the continued presence of God in their midst was both their greatest blessing and their greatest need. Let's pray. Lord God, your presence with us by your spirit is our most greatest blessing and our greatest need. Lord, if there is anything in me as a leader of this church, as anything in our hearts, as those who'd want to be your people that we need to repent of, that we have yet to repent of. Please 
would you show us? Because we need your presence with us. We need you to be uh, the one uniting us and obedience to you going forward. We need to know what it means to follow you. Uh, So please do that. Please would our church be marked by this kind of unity where you are Lord. We pray. Amen.